0: You guys know Belinda Carlyle, the 1980s pop singer? Is she popular this side of the world? Ricky knows her. You all know these words. Ooh, heaven. I'm, I'm not going to sing them, okay? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. But since the release of her song, that heaven is a place on earth, We've had two Gulf Wars, we've had 9-11, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Darfur, Rwanda, and the tsunamis. Heaven is not a place on Earth, not for the mass majority of people in this world. And if we come closer to home, just look at the realities of our lives. It's tough to make ends meet, is it not? Sometimes it's tough battling with health issues, struggling with shattered dreams. And even when there's something good going on in our lives, life is hurtling along at such breakneck speeds that that we can't hold on to a good thing. And if we are soberly minded and consider what's before us truly, then we know that it's old age if we're not already there. Greg, old age and certain death. It's, it's where it's going. And so we have to ask ourselves, oh, where is this heaven on earth? And is there any foundation to such a hope? And I want to take it to Habakkuk. And amongst all that doom and gloom and judgment, show you that amidst despair, there's a voice of hope I think there's a hill song, isn't there, song, The Voice of Hope? There is a voice of hope, and it's this. It's right in the middle of the book. It's why we read chapter 2. Or well, Jeff read it for us so nicely. Thank you, Jeff. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's heaven on earth. That's the trajectory of this whole book. It's the trajectory of the whole Bible. That there's a, we, we talked about this crossing of the Jordan into the promised land, Rich Haven, <laughs> right? The, the reality is that there's a, there is a real crossing of the Jordan, death, into a real promised land, and that, that's what this book is speaking about. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I've got to love this because I can't focus without my glasses. <laughs> I don't want to go and get my glasses if I can help it. there. There you go. See, the further you put it away, the clearer it becomes. Hey, I can see what I'm doing there. So it's not because I'm a midget. It's because I just need to see at the distance, okay? So let me begin. So Habakkuk is one of the Old Testament prophets. It's, he falls just before Daniel, okay, Uh, this prophecy. It's about the King Jehoiakim. He reigns between, well, his period is between 695 and 605, if you remember. Just after 605, the Israelites get taken into captivity. We're into the book of Daniel then. But just before then, sandwiched between the exile and Josiah, the godly king, is Jehoiakim. He's an ungodly fella. And he's turning the the nation upside down. Hence why judgment comes on his watch. Here's an excerpt of what his reign looks like, 2 Chronicles 36, Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful to the Lord, that is, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, the house of God, or in our language, the church of Jesus Christ, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So northern Israel, northern Palestine has already gone into exile, God had had enough, back in 722 BC, now southern Palestine is in such a mess, this is the state of the country now, that even even the religious leaders, the clergy, the leaders of churches, those in high-ranking church positions are turning their backs on God. When you consider what that situation was and the judgment that followed, it does make you a little nervous when we consider what some of our denominations leaders within our denominations are doing and the legislation they're passing. And we wonder what's coming of the leadership of some of our denominations in the Western world. So that's some of the history of where it is. Let me begin now. We're gonna cover three chapters in three headings. The first is this. Chapter one, a troubled servant of God, a troubled Servant of God. Habakkuk, as a holy prophet, just couldn't bear what he was seeing. Not only was it the populace behaving ungodly, but the leaders, they were setting the example. And so when he couldn't bear it no more, when he felt that his prayers were falling on deaf ears, you know, God wasn't answering, what does he do? Here's the thing this is a clue. When your prayers appear to be falling on deaf ears, what should you do pray more (laughs) amen seriously and this is exactly what he does and look at him in 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 verse two then how long can't you hear me god how long O lord must i call for help but you do not listen or cry out to you look there's violence your country's in a mess your people are in a mess do something why do you make me look at injustice Remember, God called him to be holy, and he's having to witness the state of his nation. Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me that is strife and conflicts abound. Therefore, the law, the law of God, is paralyzed. In other words, your word, God, is doing nothing. Don't you care that your word is doing nothing? Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. When God is not listening, seemingly, pray harder, and pray more earnestly, and that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing, and notice uh, um, the transparency of his emotions. Don't ever be afraid to express how you're really feeling when you pray, because you know what? He knows how you're feeling, And, and, and so be real. Here's Habakkuk pouring his heart out before God, as a prophet of God, as someone who's called to bring people to faithfulness in God, he's saying to God, look, I give up. I can't do it. No one is concerned about about your word, and I'm failing, okay, my ministry is failing. And verse four, therefore, the law is paralyzed. God, it's a waste of time, me standing for righteousness because no one is interested. He's been made to look a fool. Because remember, it's Habakkuk who's preaching the truth. And it's as though he's preaching, God will judge you if you carry on doing what you're doing because that's within, within the, the law system that, that faithfulness brings uh, spiritual prosperity. We're not talking about physical, material prosperity. now. let's get that right. Spiritual prosperity and unfaithfulness brings spiritual uh, ill favor. And so he's preaching this, but God's not doing it. And it's as though it's Habakkuk who's looking like he's a stupid one. Listen to this again. How long, O Lord, must I call for help or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? So here's a man preaching the truth, preaching the ramifications of failing, but God just is not responding. And then God answers. Listen to this. God answers, verse five. Look at the nations and watch Habakkuk and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Remember, this is heading towards the days of Daniel. This is God speaking. And the first message here is, no, God is not asleep at the wheel. Okay, he may be delayed, but he's not asleep at the wheel. He's taken account, and he tells Habakkuk that justice will soon be served on Israel by by who? The Babylonians. So what we said this in Daniel. What's occurring to the Israelites is God's vent up fury towards the people in their obstinence who have continually and habitually and overall long period of time, uh, mocked his servants and his word. Divine judgment is about to fall on Israel. He's saying to him, in effect, look, mate, I've been listening. And the delay isn't because I'm not prepared to act. The delay is because I'm summoning up all my wrath and he will come on these people. But Habakkuk has got a problem here. Can you see his problem? So God finally answers him, I'm going to deal with Israel. But it's an issue. And it's an issue that Habakkuk can't get his mind around. What's the issue? What is Habakkuk now perplexed about? Because God said, I'm gonna act. I'm gonna judge the Israelites, Habakkuk. They are gonna uh, get their due for ignoring you. But it's an issue here which Habakkuk can't work out. What's the issue? Have a look there. Well, let, me, let me give you a clue. The issue is to do with the instrument. What's the issue with the instrument? Who is he going to use? Who is he going to use? And, and, and why is that an issue? They're even, they're ten times worse than the Jews. And so, yes, Habakkuk wants these people reprimanded, but the, the Babylonians... Why would God take the Babylonians, a nation that is, look, here's what he says about them. They, they are ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, seizing dwelling places not their own. I mean, these are, the, these are if Israel was bad, then Babylonia is, is really bad. Why would God be using a godless nation like the Babylonians to discipline Israel? And so here, look, he, he challenges the wisdom of God. I, I look, this isn't, this isn't recommended, okay? Okay, and certainly not for us who are neither prophets nor sons of prophets, okay? Okay, uh, but this prophet does. Listen, he says, but God, your eyes are too pure, verse 13, to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked up those more righteous than themselves? He says, but God, but how can you use such a perverse nation like Babylon to swallow up Israel. Okay, they're bad, but these are worse. And so he pours out his heart to God, and he again returns to prayer. One of the the, the subliminal messages in this sermon, if you like, is keep, keep, keep on praying. And so chapter two, verse one, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what I'll answer what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he's back to God, okay? He's got his prayer answer, but he doesn't like it, okay? So he's back for a second dose. He he wants a better answer from God, okay? A better clarity. And this is chapter two now. And our second point now then, the certainty of judgment, okay? We can look at the ill of Israel as discipline, because God does not judge his own people, he disciplines them. What's the difference between discipline and judgment? Judgment is final, discipline is corrective. It, it has, in fact Hebrews tells us, there's a quote of Proverbs 3, that the discipline is loving. Um, you, you can't quite say that about judgment, judgment is justice. And so we're gonna look at the certainty of judgment for the nations around Israel now. So concluding chapter 1, when God's people are disciplined, in chapter 2, we see something of judgment. Listen to what God says about the Babylonians then, that he's going to use to discipline Israel. Verse 4. See, he's puffed up, Babylonians now, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. And here's a contrast. You see, the Babylonians are arrogant and self-confident. That leads you away from God. Look, if you ever want to destroy your relationship with God, just become absolutely arrogant and self-confident, and you'll be as far away from God as you possibly can. The contrast is this, but the righteous will live by his faith. There's, there's difficulty about this, by the faith of Jesus or by the faith of us. I'm not quite sure. But the point simply being this is that faith is what draws us near to God. Next, listen, as God denounces the wickedness of Babylon, and I want you to, as you, as, as you listen to these, consider the state of our world today and see the parallels. Verse six. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Woe to him who, who, to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high. Boy, is that not capitalism explained? Verse twelve Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it out with, from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their nakedness. Isn't that the isn't that what goes on in our world every Friday and Saturday night? Verse nineteen: Woe well to him who says to wood, "Come to life," or to lifeless stone, "Wake up!" Can he give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Idol worship is that's not just what other religions do; it's what most people in the world do. We make idols of employment, of family, of vehicles, or whatever else it may be. In verse twenty, here's God's response to all this: But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. What's that saying? As God looks over the sins of the Babylonians and by implication the sins of the whole world and then he finishes up with these verses, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole world be silent before him. What's that in effect saying? Or what's the ramification of that verse? He's still working? He's still working? Yeah. He's he's, still working he's, he has? And he's allowing it to happen. It. Thank you. Look, he's watching it all. Okay? He's, he's not oblivious. His point is, look, look, I know this is going on. Do you think I'm stupid? I know. I'm watching it. Okay? And the point of the whole world be silent is, hey, I'm warning you now. I'm watching you. I'm taking stock, I'm taking account. And the point is simply this, that it's not a small matter to take God's commandments lightly. Atheism, agnosticism, ignorance is no excuse. It's not a small matter to take God lightly. And these woes, when God repeatedly in this chapter says woe, 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 They're not just idle words. We do realise, don't we, that God never speaks an idle word. Those woes are pronouncement of the severest judgment. On the Babylonians to begin with, on the world ultimately. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let the earth be silent. That's a prelude to the judgment that the Babylonians were coming to, I'm gonna come back to that shortly. But it it reverberates right through the ages to the end of the world when in Revelation 20 we're told these words, then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. And we talked about this in the home group on, on Thursday, is up until the New Testament, God was by and large quite an abstract Idea to the Israelites. They didn't know quite who he was, how to relate to him. They knew he was the father of the nation. That was just about it. The New Testament develops that and we see that God is in three persons and there's three characters. That God is both his father, his son, and spirit. And what we learn in the New Testament is that the one who judges on this great white throne and him who's seated on it is, in fact, Jesus, and he's sitting there, and listen, listen, listen to the response. You know, I think we've got to get out of our heads. This cuddly little baby that we'd all could just give a kutch to—that's Welsh for cuddle—because this is that same baby, now an adult, sitting on his throne, and listen, earth and sky fled from his presence. What's that saying to us about the risen Jesus who's seated on his throne, that if the heaven and earth fled, what's that saying about him? That he's awesome. Fearful. Okay? Forget the buddy-buddy images. And I want you to think of Jesus as an awesome Remember John when he sees his vision in Revelation chapter one? He was buddy-buddy with him on earth, wasn't he? He was the one who used to lie on on his chest. He was as close as he got to Jesus. When he sees Jesus in this position, sitting on a throne, what's his response, remember? Does he run up to him and give him a cuddle? He falls to the ground. He realizes that the Jesus he walked with was a masked Jesus. That the real Jesus is God Almighty, an awesome being. So awesome. By awesome I don't mean cool, I mean awe-inspiring, awesome. So awesome that the skies flee in his presence. It's this Jesus who will call to account all who will live ill to his days. Look, we told in Matthew 12, look these are coming from Jesus' own mouth. I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every word spoken. We, we, we assume, don't we, that everyone gets away with it. And that, that's, this is what those suicide killers do. We had a guy in, in the UK, a doctor called Harold, Harold Shipman. Did you hear of him? This sort of the uh, ocean. He was a doctor who was killing his patients. And then they imprisoned him, waiting trial. What did he do? Killed himself with his, be- with his own belt. And, and he did that because he assumed he was gonna escape judgment. And the point is simply this of Jesus, friends. Nobody gets away with even a single word that they've uttered contrary to God's word. The certainty of judgment. And for Babylon, and this is why in the Old Testament days, friends, we see Images of judgment. We're going to see now, I'll explain it with Babylon. Let me just ask you to connect the pieces for yourself. We see these images of judgment in the Old Testament because what are they doing for us? What are they telling us? What are they showing us? Yeah, they're showing you that God will keep his words, guys. Can you see that's the point? They're showing in, in microcosm that God can When he decides to act in judgment. That's what we're meant to discern. It's God saying they're like tremors before the earthquake. Well, the tremors tell you because your seats begin to rock, this is gonna get dangerous. And I think that's how we meant to read the old covenant: is that these are tremors of an earthquake. To come. There are certain, and this is what this tremor is for Babylon. For Babylon, who was now ruling, thinking of themselves high and mighty, in 539 BC, Belshazzar, mighty in his bravado, I remember, drinking from the goblets of the temple of God, celebrating what a wonderful king he is. And all of, all of a sudden, he sees on the wall the writing, remember, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. And that very night, in his revelry, mocking God faced the judgment of God he was killed that very night apprehended and the Medes and Persians with Cyrus took over and he pictures for us when we read those things we're meant to think tremor of an earthquake to come and that's what chapter 2 is telling us friends that God will have his day that everyone will have their day in court and justice will finally be meted. When we cry for justice, and we ought to cry for justice, when we see, when we hear of injustice going on, we're meant to get upset. We're meant to, like Habakkuk, cry out to God, God, how long? Why do you let this happen? And his response is, let the whole earth be silent because the Lord and he's in his temple. He's taking out. And finally, coming around to where we want to get to. The certainty of a utopian earth. The certainty of a utopian earth. Chapters 2 to 3. The troubled servant of God, in chapter 1, is now found rejoicing in chapter 3. Listen to him. Look, I want you to see the transition of this man. Despair and crying out to God, How long? And listen to him in chapter 3. Listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crops fail. I'm not so sure about olive, olive crops failing. I like those. And the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall. Though everything is gloomy, gloomy, gloomy and despair, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to to be jumping on the heights. Tell me, tell me what's changed? Why is this man who was in despair and crying out to God for him to act now in jubilation? There's several answers and we're going to get to them all. Why? He got revelation revelation of God? Okay, thank you, Jerry. There's more. He's going to bring, yes, so we'll do it in order. God's told him he's going to bring discipline on his own people. He's rejoicing in that because they deserve it. He's rejoicing because God's going to bring judgment on the world at large. But more than that, ultimately, surely ultimately... Is rejoicing because of chapter 2, verse 14. Someone read it out loud. Someone read it? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters the And that's why he's rejoicing. Here's a man who cannot Tolerate evil any longer. Here's a man who's witnessing the word of God being profaned and the knowledge of God being eradicated. Here's a man who's been told that nations worse than Israel are going to be used to discipline Israel. Here's a man who's who knows of nations that are living terribly, making a mockery of God's world, and then he has this revelation from God that one day in the future, the earth which means the earth, means all of it, every single last inch of it will be, contrary to what he's now experiencing, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Utopia, heaven on earth, that's why he's rejoicing. Now I want you to notice that that reality of a heaven to come takes away all the pain and the misery of crops failing. Do you see that? Of stalled lacking produce, of everything going wrong. He's telling me, friends, it's telling me that for Habakkuk, if his entire world implodes, if if he loses his job, if he's if he's if he's salaryless, foodless, healthless, whatever less you can think of. The knowledge of this reality, the one day in the future, as certain as God, the earth will be full of the glory of the Lord. We'll have a heaven on earth. That hope of a future certain reality compensates the pain and the turmoil and the sadness of his present predicament. Let me read it to you again. It's lovely though the fig tree does not bud and that there are no grapes on the vines and that the olive crops fail and that the fields produce no food, that there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my my Saviour. It's why Paul can write to the church at Philippi and say, I tell you rejoice and I say it again, rejoice. Because a Christian is called to live above his circumstances, and his world, and to be gliding on a plateau above all of that. Let me tell you a bit about what this world looks like. Look, have you ever, I mean, you you have Jehovah's Witnesses here, as we do back in the UK. Uh, Have you ever picked up one of their leaflets with their images, their pictures? They're always like this, aren't they? Have you seen them? Yeah, like this paradise earth, where, look, Kids are playing with cubs, and everyone's working in harmony. Look there's another picture. Let me give you another one. Okay, look, I'm not selling Jehovah's Witnesses in here. Okay, but I, I just want to show you these pictures. Look, look, and they got, look here they are. Little kids giving a, a, a lion a hug. It's beautiful, isn't it? You look at those things. Oh, these weird JWs. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? In fact, look. Uh, the, the Aussie ones have Aussie pictures. Look at the next one. Look, there's a koala in this one. <laughs> you know, tailored especially for Australian audience, audiences, okay? Look, we look at these things and they may seem a bit bizarre because after, after all, we do not con- condone Jehovah's Witnesses on the basis that to relegate Jesus from being God to anything less is heresy of the highest standard, okay? To demote Jesus from his position as God <laughs> is to be less than Christians, so we're not promoting their ideas here. But what I do want to say is, they've actually captured something of the future in those images. Do you know that? They've actually captured something of the future in those images. Because here's what Isaiah says, and we don't know quite how to read this, how literally we're to take it, but I want you to at least read it on face value for now and see how much of those pictures that the JWs put on their magazines are true to reality. Listen to this. The wolf will lie with the la- live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. Your, their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy all my mountain. For, and this is where Habakkuk's prophecy comes in for, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. JWs just may at least have that one aspect of the future correct, which is we are certain they have, which is we're heading towards a paradise planet where lions and little children will be best buddies. When you can take a wild for you, Aussies, koalas. Okay, and and, and cuddle it. Seriously, that is the future, and this is what's making Isaiah rejoice. This is what's giving his 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 his. his, 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 Forget that. This is what's making him happy. Okay, right? Okay, And, and we see and we see Jesus through his prophets pick up on this theme and develop it in the new testament look at the revelation 21 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth and verse 4 look at the, all the dynamics are different there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain i mean who can imagine a world like that but that's the utopia The Habakkuk sees and seeing it, it transforms his entire approach to life now, which tells me and tells you what you must hear from your preacher as often as possible. What must you hear? The The hope of our future. A minister of the gospel who is not consistently and regularly Preaching our hope is robbing us of the very thing that makes life now palatable. Do you see? It's what makes life palatable. It's why we can do without now. It's why we can cope with our illness. It's why we can look death in the face and prepare for it. It's why we can manage when we get that bad news It's because there's a future. There are ways, all the darkness, all the infirmity, all the pain, all the sadness, all the brokenness of this world. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's a certainty of a utopian future. I need to finish, but I want to leave you with this. I want to speak to two groups of people in every church service, no matter how long we've been coming to church, there's always two groups of people. Those who genuinely love Jesus. I should say three, actually. Those who don't, and those who think they do, but don't. Those who do, those who don't, those who think they do, but don't, but they don't. So... Let me speak to all of us here, and whoever we are, the Lord knows. The first thing is this. Look, this utopian earth is only for those who love Jesus. I was sitting working in my office this morning. i try and to avoid these personal illustrations, but this one was so lovely, I've got to use it. And Tiffany was in the other room, and she was drawing away, and I could hear a little song, I love you, Jesus, I love you every day. And the words that affect, and it just reminded me, that's the center of faith. Let me ask you this. Do you sing those songs to Jesus? When was the last time you said, I love you, Jesus? Seriously, when was the last time, personally, between you and him, you just said, Jesus, I love you? It's it's the ultimate mark of genuine faith. And so friends, do you love Jesus? For God so loved you <laughs> that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The new earth is only for those people who love Jesus. For those of us who who, who, don't, who are of faith, here's what Jesus says. For those of us who profess faith, and I want to, Challenge you as well as encourage you with these verses. Matthew 24, it's He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Faith has to prove itself that it's genuine by persevering. Look what Jesus said. We looked at this again in our home group on Thursday. Look what Jesus says to people who believe. And it's an important one for us to consider this. This is to people who believe in Him, to the Jews who had believed Him. Okay? Good chaps. Good on you, mate. He doesn't say that, listen to this. To those who believed him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciple. He's picking up on when James, James the brother of Jesus develops this later and he says, look I don't care about your faith. Who cares you've got faith? What does he say? Show me your faith. Okay, show me your faith. And Jesus' point is simply this, talking to the Jews who believed him, look, Oh, it's great you believe in me. Oh, wow. So do the demons. Okay. Are you holding to my teachings? And the greatest one is to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and minds, and our neighbor as ourself. Ultimately summed up in the neighbor as ourself, we said a couple of weeks ago, friends, the certainty of us reaching this utopian earth hinges on loving Jesus, obeying his commands, persevering to the end in faith. May none who are sitting here today or standing be absent from that kingdom to come. God, have mercy on our soul.